welcome to the School of Laughs podcast, brought to you by SchoolofLaughs.com. Whether you're an aspiring comedian, a part-time pro, or a speaker who wants to become funnier, this is the podcast for you. We'll break down tools, tips, and techniques to help you get bigger, better, and more bookable. And now, here's the show. Welcome to the School of Last Podcast. Rick Roberts here, and today I've got an interview with Christian comedian Mike Hickman. Mike lives down in Austin, Texas, and does shows a lot of churches, other events as well, as you'll hear in the opening a few remarks. And he also uses his comedy to help other people out who are less fortunate. And I think you're going to like that aspect, too. We haven't talked too much about that on the podcast lately. But uh, about the midway point, you'll hear Mike talk about that. So great interview. We'll get to that here in just a second. But first, I'm going to answer a question. Got an email here from Chad in Sacramento, California. It says, I'm hoping you could help me out with something here. I've been doing stand-up for about two years, and I do a very dark style of comedy. My influences include Anthony Jeselnik, Tom Segura, and other comedians like that. Some of my jokes come across as pretty crass, but it fits my background. I'm from a broken home with abusive alcoholic parents. I've been bullied and teased. I deal with anger and depression, and I really enjoy talking about those things in my act, and it's a release to deal with it when I share those things on stage. But he recently says here, I got an offer from my pastor at the church to begin doing church shows and eventually corporate shows. They're offering to promote me with flyers and websites, videos and everything and help me get the gigs. But I obviously will have to clean up my act and switch to a more family friendly brand of comedy. Do you have any advice on how I might be able to make this transition? Wow, great question, Chad, and congratulations for two years of stand-up comedy. A lot of people try it twice, give up, never do it again. You've not only done it for two years, but you've also found kind of your voice. You're talking about things that are serious to you, and you're making them funny and dealing with them that way, which is a great way to get past a lot of those things you talked about. So I think that's awesome that you're doing that. And you're very aware that, hey, if you're going to do church shows and corporate shows, some of those topics may not go over quite as well, which is true. But it's not to say you still couldn't talk about some of those topics. You know, I would lean on your pastor and ask him for advice and even run material by him once you have an idea and say, hey, well, how do you think this would go over? The key is keeping it authentic to you if it was something you dealt with, especially the abuse or being bullied or teased. In fact, if you could write some material around that that is church clean and church friendly, uh, I guarantee it'll be corporate friendly as well if you get it that clean. And that's stuff that everybody can relate to. I mean, we've all either bullied somebody or been bullied, and maybe both. Who knows, depending on how big we were in junior high, right? (laughs) So anyway, I would keep writing from your point of view, your authentic voice, because that's what's going to resonate with people the most. If you try to start talking about, you know, very generic topics, you could probably pull that off, but I don't think it's going to ring as true, and people won't resonate with you as well. You know, anybody can get up there and talk about very generic things, stuff that's in the news, and just have a take on it and move on to the next joke. But when you're talking about your own life, you're bringing a lot of reality to that stage, and I think audiences are hungry for that. And even in the church, you know, I'm the vice president of the Christian Comedy Association, and we talk about, you know, getting on stage and being real. And, you know, of course we choose our words a little bit more wisely when we're entrusted with a, you know, a congregation that another pastor has handed over to us. Uh, But even in our day-to-day club shows as a Christian comic, we should be clean and shining the light correctly as well. So, you know, for most Christian comics, they'll talk about anything as long as they're talking about it with the right heart. 
So I hope that helps. You know, the key is staying true to yourself and then knowing your audience. And when you connect those two dots with material that resonates from your life to an audience who's eager to hear it and eager to hear the funny parts that you bring to it, I think you're going to be in good shape. And also, I would check out ChristianComedyAssociation.com and see if there are some comics in your area that you can write with and, and kind of hang out with and share some of your stories and bounce some ideas off each other. If you'd like to meet a bunch of people, the Christian Comedy Association is coming up in June this year in Atlanta. I know it's a, about as far away from Sacramento as you could get, but uh, we'd love to have you there. If you're interested in that at all, check out ChristianComedyAssociation.com. And thanks, Chad. Let me know if I can help you any further. Hey, Mike. Rick Roberts here. How's it going, buddy? Man, it is going great. Uh, a little bit in recovery mode right now. Just got back from uh, from West Texas from a, a little mini tour there in West Texas. So hey, good. hey, tell me about that because I think the I, I got a call from a guy out in Odessa and Crane, and I recommended you. Was, are these possibly the same gigs? That's the same gigs. Yeah, he actually mentioned you, the uh, concert promoter there. Uh, it was Sheepdog Promotions there, which is which is a cool name because the concert promoter is also uh, a police officer uh, out there in West Texas. So Sheepdog has to do. He explained with you know the uh, the public general public is the sheep, and we're sort of the the dogs guarding against the wolves. And he gave all this imagery and all. But but yeah, that, thanks for the recommendation. I didn't know you had recommended. I. I uh, uh, he he apparently had talked with with several different people, and he had good things to say about you. He goes, "We're going to get Rick down here." I'm like, "Man, you really need to get Rick over here uh, because he would do a, an incredible job." But the most diverse, <laughs> the most diverse shows on a it was I, I guess four or five different shows for the week. Now one of those wasn't um, from him. Uh, someone else saw that I was going to be in the area and asked uh, if I would uh, come a day early and and do a show. And so the diversity just increased because that uh, that show was at Polo Park Estates, which is a retirement community, uh-huh. which that, that's that's not my normal thing that I do, but I, I actually love those. I do maybe, I don't know, six or seven of, of those type shows a year. Um, and went and had a great time, and we neither one of us, uh, the, the crowd or I, wanted it to end. It was so much fun. They were very, very welcoming. They had a grand piano in there, and I usually bring a, a keyboard and do a variety of I kind of mix music with stand-up and parodies and ended with just a, a time of, of playing a, a bunch of old hymns on there, and we just had some church at the end, and it was just a blast. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. then the diversity continued because we uh, uh, did – I did a uh, – a fundraiser for the first responders in Crane, Texas, and they said that that town had never had comedy. They didn't really know what to expect. They had music and DJ type things, but never comedy. So the whole town turned out like, let's see what this is all about. Yeah, <laughs> and it was a it was a blast. And uh, I then did a, a show in a bar and grill for the Odessa Police Department. And um, I then closed with a fundraiser for a high school volleyball team. So great diversity, but but so much fun in West Texas. They were very welcoming. Well, that's pretty cool. And that's that's one thing that you're able to pull off many years down the road in comedy is the, the ability to switch gears and to, you know, customize your performance in ways that makes it worth your time and their time as well. So, yeah. so take, yeah. us, take us back to when you started comedy because – You've done a variety of things, and music was big. Did the comedy evolve from the music? Which came it first? It did. Um, I 
uh, I'll uh, I'll briefly go back to when I was just a little tyke. Yeah. And <laughs> one of my favorite things to do when I was little, I loved to put on concerts for my for my family, whether they wanted it or not. <laughs> right. I would, uh, I would uh, when we would watch, let's say, a couple of my 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 favorite shows when I was probably five years old, six years old. Dukes of Hazard. Absolutely. Was on and Hee Haw. Same here. And yeah, and Dukes of Hazard. I love the theme song from it, and so I. <laughs> I would uh, memorize a theme song, and so before Dukes of Hazard would come on, I would uh, dress up, and I would go into the living room, stand on the coffee table in front of my parents, and and sing the theme song to Dukes of Hazard, and do this little weird dance that I would do to it. And <laughs> uh, then a Hee Haw would come on, and they always had some of the best country music guests, and uh, that would that would be on, you know. And I would take my little tape recorder, and I would record. All, <laughs> all of the uh, the musical guests, and then I would go back to my room, and in an hour I would memorize every song that uh, that was sung. And then I would come back and I would reproduce those songs for for my parents uh, in the living room. Again, standing on the coffee table, sometimes in my underoos. If you remember underoos, oh yeah, yeah, underwear, underwear. It's fun fun to wear. <laughs> <laughs> but not to share. But not to share. No, no. Um, well, from the so it was. I would always just love to perform, make people smile, make people laugh, and and uh, had a, a real uh, just hunger for music. I loved music, and and got into uh, middle school, and that's when I started watching my first, uh, I guess, stand up comedy. Any any stand up comedy I could find on on TV or on tapes or on records or, or any of those things, I couldn't get enough of it. And I was uh, starting to get into music, just singing. Uh, some of that was was church choir, um, and then just kind of writing stupid songs myself that that were terrible. They were absolutely terrible. And I would find myself reproducing these jokes from these other comics um, from middle school and early high school. And I thought, man, I wanted I want to do some of this because I love making people laugh. I just I just love this. And uh, I guess some of the people back then were were there was Dana Carvey. Um, uh, Bill Cosby, Howie Mandel, Eddie Murphy, uh, uh, Ellen DeGeneres, and all these were were a lot younger even then. And I loved watching sketch comedy like uh, Saturday Night Live. Uh, later on, Mad TV and In Living Color. Anyway, I, I was insatiable with with uh, with watching comedy. Like I, I wanted to incorporate music somehow with this, and I. Uh, the stand-up comedy, as far as what I would do, was was no. It, it was sort of mixed in with with music. I began doing youth camps and leading worship for youth camps and 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 singing at my church. And I kind of got known as that that funny worship leader guy. Yeah. I then began, I then began to just do uh, to do public speaking, camp pastors for youth camps and for pastors camps and and uh, retreats and and things like that, and just. And so I would use funny illustrations. Still no stand-up at this point, per se. I had that was kind of simmering there in the background. And so I would I, but I knew music well, and that was sort of what I was confident doing. And underneath the music beds of things, I would throw in some one lines or some funny stories or but I, I never considered it stand-up comedy at that point. It was just I was just telling funny stories. Uh, then now we're gonna go I would start a a a concert or a worship leading segment with that and then move into the more serious things as it went. And so I started getting booked as the funny worship leader, funny speaker guy. And, uh, um, 
uh, then the biggest platform that came about was I, I uh, in college, became a, a youth pastor uh, at a church, which that was a weekly platform where I thought, okay, let me let me start trying some of this stuff out. And uh, my personal things, absolutely terrible. Uh, <laughs> but we, but when I would play a DVD of another comic, uh, then people would go would go nuts. And and back then it was. Uh, uh, there was a Mike Warnke, of course, uh, back then, and then Mark Lowry. Right. And Mark Lowry was a game changer for me, and uh, I, I hope he listens to this because what he did with incorporating music and stand-up comedy, it finally clicked with me based on watching him. Like that's it. It can. They both can happen. Uh, and I would see him live and listen to his tapes, uh-huh. of course. And uh, but incorporating music and comedy, so I began to do that within youth ministry uh, as a refreshment tool, and then uh, I guess it just kind of kept going, kept going from there. Uh, I, I went to college and got a music degree. Went to Tyler Junior College in Tyler, Texas. Tyler, Texas. Tyler, Texas. Uh, then the University of Texas there at Tyler as a vocal education and performance major, and. Began to play piano. Uh, earlier on, I didn't play anything. I sang, but I just used used my uh, background tapes. Go church to church. <laughs> so you didn't start piano till college, huh? I, well, uh, I was about seventeen when I started dabbling in it, and I uh, was sort of self taught. I I knew from studying music and knew chords, and so I would just start learning to improvise with chords and playing by ear. And I read music, but it mainly it was single line vocal music and trumpet music. I was a trumpet player also all the way through college and in college got involved with uh, dance and, and uh, the pop dance show choir group. And uh, they performed for the college all the time. And that was harmony and understanding was the name of that uh, at Tyler junior college. There you go. Any jazz hands in there? What's that? Jazz hands. Absolutely. (laughs) You got to have lots of jazz hands, especially on the ending. And then you shake them on the end. (laughs) Just, just for the added, (laughs) the added effect. But uh, I, I, so I've been speaking and performing for years, just in so many different capacities. And it was just maybe about seven years ago when the Lord started really saying to me, I, I want you to lead out with, with comedy and uh, use it as the platform to say something more serious towards the end. Because now I, I close my shows usually instead of just the big laugh after after the I guess finale bit uh, or what, after your big closer, whatever. I'll go into a time of worship, and uh, that's the yes, right after the big closer. Uh, I go into a time of worship and into a. Uh, I'll share Compassion International. I speak for Compassion International as well, and. And uh, then give a time of testimony. And uh, so it kind of was all pieced together all my life. And now in the last several years has come to leading out with stand-up comedy. That's pretty cool. And for people that are tuning in that don't know about compassion, give us just a little nutshell uh, explanation of what that is so that they might be more aware of it. Well, sure. Oh, absolutely. Uh, compassion International is a, is a Christian organization that uses um, – uh, a sponsorship of children to pull them out of poverty in Jesus name. And, and in fact, the tagline is releasing children from poverty in Jesus name. Um, there's children all around the, the world in, in different countries that are in poverty that are in um, uh, child trafficking areas. Uh, and what compassion does it's, it's for $38 a month. 
uh, a family or a person can sponsor a child and what the, the child will receive, their family will receive, of course, food, clothing, medical attention, uh, weekly Bible studies. Uh, if they're in a, a gang-ran school, which many of them are, uh, they will be moved to a, either a Christian school or, or a safe school. Uh, there's a compassion center in each one of the areas, and there's children that are on waiting lists that have been uh, identified, earmarked, like, okay, you're on a waiting list until you get a sponsor. And uh, unlike some, um, uh, I guess, Feed the Hungry type foundations, uh, and, and I'm not knocking any of them, I'm just saying, un- unlike some, you're the only sponsor of that child. It's not like the money pools and they sort of spread it thinly over everything. And a lot of it goes to administration and all those things. Uh, that $38 a month, that that is your sponsored child. You'll be able to write letters back and forth. My wife and I sponsor uh, Kevin uh, De Leon in, um, in Guatemala. And so we get letters from him, pictures he'll draw. We get to write letters back and forth. And it's just an amazing, uh, amazing thing. And they throw a party for a child that's on the waiting list when they th- they say, hey, Kevin has got a sponsor this week, and they will throw a party for that kid and, and just gives them so much hope. Um, and you can go to uh, – I actually have a link uh, set up on my website at mykickmancomedy.com. You can just click the uh, link, and it will bring up a um, – uh, a, a site which is compassion.com slash Mike Hickman comedy. And you can uh, scroll through kids by birthday, see where they're at, find out any information uh, that you'd like to know about compassion international. And it's uh, they, what's interesting is they don't, um, they don't use TV commercials and, and things such as that. They use artists as their spokespeople uh, such as mercy me, a lot of music artists, um, uh, several uh, comedians are, uh, and then as of about a year and a half ago, I came on as an official spokesperson for Compassion International as well. Yeah, it's awesome, and I'll, I'll make sure I put those links in the show notes so people can click through and take a look at all that. That's that's pretty cool, and that's not a lot of money to ask to you know get a kid's right. life on track, you know. And it's great you can communicate directly with them and make sure that the the sponsorship. You know the money's going where it's supposed to be, and it sounds like Compassion has a great handle on that. And very absolutely, very cool way to use your comedy for a greater cause. And so you're down in Texas. What part of Texas do you live in? Uh, Austin, Texas. Actually, I live in in Burnett, Texas, which is just right out outside of Austin, which is great because I'm not right in the middle of the big traffic things, but it's easy to go into into town. How so. can how can Austin have so much? intelligence in that area and not have like an outer belt that can take care of the traffic flow north and south it's exactly it's mind-blowing to me and yes and it's the same traffic report every single (laughs) day you can watch the news turn on the news like here's the traffic report it's the same traffic (laughs) we're not moving no one's going anywhere here this we're just ramped up here's a bunch of red dots and no one's going (laughs) anywhere yeah i know we've got several listeners down there in austin are you buddies with some some comics on the local scene Absolutely. There's uh, Donnie Stopa uh, mm-hmm. down below me is uh, is uh, Cleto Rodriguez. Oh yeah, uh, uh, down there and uh, Adrian Lucio, uh, Jessica Ramirez. There, there were scattered off. Bob Moore is is down through there. I, I, there's there's many many, and th- if they're listening, they're going. You didn't mention me, and I thought we've been friends forever. It's just well, I I have ADD also, so so uh, I'll remember you memory later. Then Bob Smiley is over in in Houston. He's about four and a half hours from where. Where uh, where I am, and then just north of me is uh, Scott Smyer, Jason Earls, 
and uh, and some others that uh, that some people may know. Yeah, that's great. I know several of those listen to the podcast, and that's cool. So they get they got their shout outs from old Mike Hickman down there. Mike, <laughs> when you uh, when you're writing material, tell me about your process. Is it one of those things where you know you'll just accumulate some funny ideas throughout the course of a, a few weeks, and then finally sit down and write, or do you have some structured time where you go to write some bits? You know, tell me about your process. Uh, a, a little of both. I do have time set aside that I write. Uh, I uh, have a building on my property that has a recording studio studio in it where uh, I, I, in my off time, I record uh, Christian bands and and uh, do some uh, uh, podcast uh, intro music and writing for some other Christian groups. And uh, but so I set time alone in there. Uh, during the week that this is my writing time. But as you know, sometimes things hit just at, at any time and then you write those in a pad. So I have this, I have a Evernote on my phone. If, if you don't use Evernote, it's a great tool um, to keep up with, with your comedy ideas. Uh, it'll sync from your phone to your computer and you can type in and you can tag. And with, with ADD, it's, it's a really good thing for me to put in. All right. At, at the police thing, there was this, there was this, and I'll just put tags on it. Then I can recall that information. Uh, then when I have time during my writing sessions, I can really uh, start to pound that out. But uh, as far as my my thought process, most of what I do is is life story type things and just uh, shedding light on on the weirdness of life from the hard stuff to the light stuff. For example, I, I was adopted when I was when I was a baby, and and. And I'm like, how does this play? Several years ago, how does this play into a stand-up? I've got to be able to use it somehow because it was all a good experience. But how is that funny? My thoughts at that time was, well, let me get a piece of paper. Let me write down adoption. Now, what about that? And I will write down what the subject is. Now, just brainstorm. What about that? Okay, biological mom, new parents, uh, baby, uh, growing up. And what came out of that was, in a nutshell, in one of the bits, I'll say, uh, um, hey, my name is Mike Hickman. Everybody say Hick. They say Hick, man, man. So that wasn't all my na- always my name. I was born um, uh, to Pedro and Elisa Lopez, and then three days later I was adopted, which was great. But um, so I had this little baby bracelet on for three days. I laid in this hospital room that's behind that big glass, and people would come by and look at you. Uh, and I'm paraphrasing the whole bit because there's a lot of activity there. But they'll come by and they'll look at the glass like they're trying to pick out a puppy in a pet store. Look at that one. Look at that one, Harold. Isn't he cute? I bet he's a mix. That one looks like a mix. You think he's a mix? <laughs> and I had this baby bracelet that said Baby Boy Lopez on it, which sounds like a mafia hit guy. Yeah, it sounds like you, a, a, your rap name. Yo, welcome right. to the stage, Baby Boy Lopez. And uh, then I end, there's some other things that go with that. Then at the end, I will... Uh, I met my biological mom when I was 30 years old, and one of the very first questions she asked me was, mijo, how come you don't speak no Spanish? <laughs> and I said, because you sold me to white people. <laughs> and <laughs> There you go. And so basically all that to say that your life is a writing pad, and if you can – and I love to bring out just, all right, what has happened to me? What's been good? What's been hard? What's just been a weird ob- observance uh, or something I've observed? Uh, now let's bring some funny uh, out about that. And early on in the writing, I was really terrible at at that. My, my setups were so long because I wanted to give so much imagery and so much information so they understood what I was about to to uh, give them as a as a punchline that I wore people out and so made a lot of early mistakes writing writing with just everyone doesn't need to know everything 
that's going on in your head. Their imagination sometimes is even better than what you can say in a, in a very long setup. So yeah, I always say you know once you know the punchline, go back and remove everything in front of that 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 doesn't need to be there for that punchline to work. It is hard from a true life experience to know what to eliminate unless you go backwards like that. Exactly. And a, and a few years ago, I began to write out my bits and I was taking a lot of stock early on in, okay, I've got this premise. I've sort of brainstormed a little bit and now I'm just going to go out there on stage and just do it. And, and that may work for, for some people, but um, what I've started doing on my A material, the, the, the things that are, that are like, hey, this is the go-to thing, I those rose to that level from just writing them out uh, line by line, and then it helps me see in front of me, like you know what, that's a, that's that line's not even necessary. Or is there another way for me to say this that's funnier? Is there funny on the way to the funny? Yeah, uh, you know, and then and, and it allowed me to shorten that and shorten it, or or change it, or or, or take a different path with it on the way. Uh, then I would would memorize that. I do a lot of energetic type things and expressions and voices within within some of it. So now let me put a voice to this. Let me how can I express this? And most of what I do is is like I said is drawn from life experiences, but it still helps. So I know them internally, but it helps if I do write them out. Uh, then it just gives me a visual as well as instead of just rattling around in my head. Yeah. So Mike, uh, I know that you have a podcast and it's brand new so basically let me tell people listening what's going on here i recorded your first episode of your podcast earlier today and i'm going to try to release this one after you got your podcast up and rolling so people can click through your links and go right to it and uh, subscribe tell me about the name of your podcast and tell everybody a little bit about what it's going to be about Sure. It's called the Laugh Track Comedy Cast. It's it's all comedy-based. It's going to feature one uh, comedian uh, each week. And so I, I believe in, in we help each other out, uh, especially in, in, in Christian circles. Of uh, It builds relationship between comedians. It makes us all better, I think. So the, the meat of it is that featured comedian. But surrounding that is just a lot of fast-paced, hard-hitting comedy segments, such as Top Ten Lists, which... Uh, come off of a radio show. Uh, I do a radio show called the what now radio show on Sunday nights at seven o'clock and uh, we do a top 10 list on there. And so that'll be pulled off. Uh, there's also a in the news, which will be a funny take on a popular, uh, item that will be in the news for that week. Cool. I'll definitely be linking to that and I'll, yeah. I'll hold off on releasing this until you are fully released into the wild. If not before that. So cool, Michael, I'm glad I got a chance to catch up with you today. Thanks for sharing some of the, the gold nuggets with our listeners and keep on doing all this stuff you're doing, man. It sounds like you're on the right track with the right frame of mind. Uh, man, I appreciate it. Thanks for letting me be on. It's a blast. You bet. Thanks. There you go. That's Mike Hickman. Very nice guy, very funny guy and a compassionate guy. As we just heard, I'll add some links in the show notes to compassion international, as well as to Mike's new podcast. And if you haven't had enough of me, I can imagine you probably have. But if you haven't, uh, click through and listen to that first podcast of his. Subscribe. He interviewed me on his uh, inaugural show, and I shared some things that I haven't shared on this podcast that you may learn about me, if that's interesting to you at all. Hey, as we close into the 100th episode of the podcast, I'm kind of at a crossroads as to whether I should continue for another 100 or just say, hey, that was a good run, 100 episodes, download all you can right now before it disappears into the ether and uh, learn from it. So uh, a couple things you guys can do to kind of help me make that decision. First thing is uh, 
shoot me a quick message. Let me know why you listen, where you listen, and maybe an episode or a piece of advice you heard in the first 100 episodes here that uh, helped you out, that helped you over the hump in some area in comedy and meant the most to you. Whether it's a podcast episode or a specific piece of advice or a guest and their advice, I'd love to hear that to kind of see what resonated and if I should continue going on with the podcast. So uh, let's do that for now. Maybe leave an iTunes review if you like, and I will get back with you guys in the next episode and tell you where we go from here. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the School of Laughs podcast. If you'd like to hear more School of Laughs podcasts, you can find them on iTunes and Stitcher.com. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. For information on upcoming live and online classes, visit SchoolofLaughs.com. Until next time, stay tuned, stay focused, and stay money. Stay money.